podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Support for GigPod is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Get 20% off plus free delivery with the code GIGPOD at manscaped.com. Out of control. Hello and thanks for tuning in to the Premiership Years from Glasgow's Green, aka GigPod. Over the next half hour or so, myself, Stevie, and my wonderful colleague Rudzo will kick off the first in this series filled with other guests starting with August 2020. The R number in Scotland was above one and pubs were hanging on by a thread. International travel was deemed too risky. Just like Neil Lennon's decision not to play with a striker in a vital Champions League qualifier. Rizzo, Gigpod hadn't returned in August, but Celtic had, uh, and after some unimpressive friendlies that ultimately mean nothing, it was time to unfurl the flag and go for 10 up against Hamilton Ackies in what was a 5-1 win, and yet it wasn't all that convincing. Did you see any problems after match day one? Did you see the problems coming, basically? Hi, Stevie, and hi all our fans for this great new series that will look back at a wonderful season, but uh, no, really, no. After that game, I mean, I thought it was just one of the typical like start of season games. I mean, we still managed to beat them five one. I think Eddie scored a hat trick. Uh, it was like it was a slight concern that Hamilton created chances, but then like the preseason had been so weird. Like I didn't really panic about it that much. I thought it was just a comfortable win, although it was a bit different when we talk about the next league game. Yeah, when I look at that Hamilton game, I mean, they did create chances, yeah. But you look at us, you know, we had 15 shots in target. We controlled all of that game, 81% possession. And again, in that actual game, the pass accuracy was 88%. We actually managed to find our own players shot with a pass. It was quite incredible. That didn't happen often this season, so... No, it did not. The starting lineup. <laughs> the starting lineup for that was Scott being in goals with uh, Frimpong, Julian, Ayer and Greg Taylor at the back. Greg Taylor assisting with two goals. He was very, very good in that game. Scott Brown, Callum McGregor uh, in the middle. James Forrest on the right. Ryan Christie uh, just off Edward up front and then you had Mohamed El Yunusi on the left. Now see when you look at that team, uh, the formation 4-2-3-1 and you're like, get into that game. I mean, that is a strong team, isn't it? Now, and it's easy to say on paper it is, but, you know, we don't play on paper, do we, John? But that Celtic side, it's not a bad team at all. And yet, when you look at it, the majority of that team are what really let us down for the rest of the season ahead. It's so, so, so strange. But it's all down to one man, and that was that man in the dugout with his coaching staff, too. And the thing is, that team had been rampant, like, up until we had to stop playing the season before. If you look at, like, January, February, March... We're just like we're hammering teams. I think the only game we didn't win was uh, Livingston, that two each draw just before the shutdown. So no, I mean everybody was probably thinking more of the same, and like we'll go on and we'll uh, win the league, which of course we all we thought we would then. But uh, no, I think the worrying signs start to appear uh, soon after. Of course, John, our goalkeeper that we signed from AK Athens, uh, Vasilis Barkas, he was on the bench for this game. A lot of people thought he was maybe going to make his debut, but Scott uh, Bain got the nod. Did you think that Barca, it was only a matter of time really before Barkas was going to be our number one? It was just like a case of, I remember watching the game and thinking, any mistake for Bain and Barkas will be the new number one for us. 
Aye, I thought it was just a case of like bedding him in and giving him time and inevitably he'd be number one. Yeah, and we didn't even know who our number one is last season, no, did we? But yeah, as we said, John. <laughs> no, we three. Celtic five, Hamilton one, three points. Yep, all looks good. Ten in a row, formality. Anyway, we move on to our next game at Rugby Park, in which was a 1-1 draw on the 9th of August. We opened the scoring for Ryan Christie from range, amazingly enough. And, uh, you know, 1-0 up away at Rugby Park. You wouldn't have thought that Kilmarnock were going to cause us any border. This is a Kilmarnock side not managed by Steve Clark anymore either. Alex Dyer was in charge. Um, and that Kilmarnock team in general, I remember, first 20 minutes or so. It didn't look as if they were going to cause as many problems. Celtic were wearing the wonderful new away kit, the green one, which was a homage to Love Street in 1986. But Celtic's defensive frailties would show up for the first time when Chris Buck equalised with a 24th minute penalty. And that was a pitiful game, was it not, John? It was terrible. I mean, the biggest concern was in the second half when you'd expect us to like go out for, a one and, for the one and goal, wouldn't they do anything? I don't think we created a single meaningful chance in the second half. And another worry was that uh, Chris Julian, who had had problems like, against like Lyndon Dykes the year before, he really had a poor game. And Robbie Park gave away the penalty. No, I mean, okay, it was early in the season, but that result was a concern. I mean, you think, oh, aye, we'll have plenty of time to catch up on that. But no, it was just a lifeless performance, and that was only after the second game of the season. That was the biggest worry, that we would turn in such a stinker after only two games. Yeah, it was poor, wasn't it? Um, and that was the game as well, John, where a lot of people... Now, after that game, you know what it's like? You always say it's a disaster when Celtic don't win. You know what I mean? A draw is just as bad as a defeat. But I remember Odson Edward that game had a, a ter- terrible, terrible performance. Could be argued he never really get the service all game either, though. But I remember people saying... As early as the second game of the season, Edward's attitude um, wasn't ideal and he didn't look the same player as what he was last season. He wasn't motivated and he just didn't look as sharp off the ball or anything and on it he was dilly-dallying a lot. Now, a lot of these people, probably, John, if we saw them at the time, we would have been saying, Bosh, Flimshaw, away you go, you're overreacting. But it's fair to say that Edward from the second game in wasn't quite the same player and we've just got to admit that one. I know. It's strange saying that when he still scored 20 plus goals this season, but no, I mean, I don't know if that's because, like, maybe Celtic said you can leave, like, in August, the August window, or something we'll talk about later, maybe points towards that. And, I mean, another incident as well, the ball and goal, we'll talk about that. I mean, he probably wasn't happy with him there, because I think he was a pal of his. But no, it was a strange one. I don't know if maybe it was Lennon that says to him, like, you'll do better if you try and be every man, because. He did keep trying to do that, which was annoying at times, but he still scored more than 20 goals. He was probably still one of our top three players this season, which isn't said much. And if he does leave this summer, he'll be a massive loss because I don't want people just to remember this season for Eddie because over the piece, he's been absolutely brilliant. Maybe, just maybe, maybe slightly not as good as Moussa Dembele, another brilliant player. Well done to him for winning the La Liga title. But uh, no... Austin Edwards is an absolutely fantastic Celtic player and will be doing well to get a striker anywhere near as good as him next season. But he didn't have a good season like by his lofty standards. And I suppose the warning signs were there early on. Yeah, I remember that one each game at Rugby Park as well, thinking a lot of people were overreacting and just, as you say, John, 
when Celtic don't win, a lot of people lose their nut. But it was evident that a lot of people were justified this season in saying, you know, the problems were that Celtic, you could tell they weren't as fluid as what they had been after Christmas or rather the New Year break last season. The midfield weren't creating anything and up front there was no movement just all over the place against Kilmarnock. We didn't look impressive and that would carry on. However, no Lennon said after it, like he always does, he was bitterly disappointed, of course, but he would take the draw because apparently Rugby Park is a tough place to go, despite the fact that we did okay there after Steve Clark left. And despite the fact that they're 11th now in, in the playoffs. In fact, I guess right, they play tomorrow, don't they? they played on DI. I watched some of that first game the other day and they were horrendous. So, and we won there, I think, 4 nothing. Uh February. February, aye. Like, and that was when we were really bad. So I don't know if that really, that might be one of just Lenny's comments, I think, or I, and just you forget he said. <laughs> Before we move on, talking about another key situation just um, after that game, who do you want to come up? Dundee, or do you, would you rather Kilmarnock uh, stayed in the top flight? Dundee, because I've not got a plastic pitch. And also the fact that it will bring more to Scottish football because they'll have a derby against Dundee United. That as well. Aye. I mean, maybe not the best team, but they've not got a plastic pitch, and really, it'd be good to get rid of two of the plastic pitch teams with Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton, I've went down as well, and I know you loved Hamilton. So, uh, yes, we won't, we won't miss them. Now, of course, Neil Lennon said he was bitterly disappointed after the draw at Rugby Park, but that would be nothing compared to how raging he was after the Stony Broke, <laughs> the Bolly Bowling Goalie. <laughs> bowling Goalie. Flutie Malaga um, before that game and then came back and played in it. I think he came on as a sub in the last like 10 minutes or so. Now this kicked off what would be a massive amount of drama, uh, not only in Scottish football, but in Scotland itself. And am I not right in saying, John, at one point it was actual UK news on ITV and everything too? Unfortunately it was. <laughs> um I mean, this is, for me, I know it's a bit of a laugh. This is the moment it defined the season for me. I mean, this just... I, I, we didn't recover for it. We obviously we should have and we had the players to recover it, but I think everybody was so discombobulated by what happened. That, and, we, of course, we had games postponed, and I just don't think we recovered. Well, of course, Nicola Sturgeon, yeah, our dear leader herself, that was when she gave a yellow card to Scottish football as well, John. Yes. Because don't forget, a lot of Aberdeen players had went to the pub, as far as I remember, and uh, they had eight players banned. Uh, but of course, they had two games, if nobody remembers, we had two games postponed, and so did Aberdeen. So automatically, we were like behind Rangers, who'd made, a, unfortunately, a good start to the season. So it put us under loads of pressure. But uh, <laughs> it really just was unbelievable. What... Always as interesting supporting Celtic, and I remember texting you after the, about how just hilariously mad it was, and it's it's still just unbelievable in the way it happened, and it isn't. It's probably not even the most ridiculous thing involving COVID at Celtic part of the season, but you should talk about in I think the January episode. Yeah, our beloved Spunk Phone will be covering that one, but focusing on the Bowley incident, Aye. Neil Lennon basically said that he came out and he just. Uh, went in a full-scale shoot, didn't he? CM Punk, CM Punk would have been proud. But he went in a shoot and a, and a presser, basically saying Bowley has his own motives for 
why he kept it to himself, that would mean uh, the travel when he didn't inform the club. For me, that speaks volumes, not just of him as a sports person, but of him as a person. It is very, very underhand what he did. It's reprehensible behaviour from one individual. This is a rogue who has gone off on a tangent and decided to do something very, very selfish. Now, Neil Lennon knows about very, very selfish decisions. Of course, we'll get into that later on, I'm sure. But I was wondering, though, I know Neil Lennon has a tendency to fly off the handle and uh, doesn't really keep his emotions in check, John, as we know from his previous spells as manager. But I do think that he handled that pretty poorly. Now, I know that he was probably under an enormous amount of pressure, not only from the club, but the government. All eyes were on Celtic. And let's and I put the partner angle away just for a side. Bowley was stupid. There's no doubt about that. It was a daft thing to do. But also do think that there should have been a stern discipline of him, but ultimately he shouldn't have just been kicked out of the club because as it transpired, John, we probably could have done with him this season. In a way, I can understand the reaction because it was the first breach. It was back in August. We never had like this massive vaccine programme and the gig pod fans will be delighted to know that me and you both had our first vaccine last week. Yes, Bill Gates is controlling us both. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, in a way, I can understand. Unfortunately, I can also understand why Sturgeon was so extremely furious, and I'm not exactly a fan of Sturgeon. I mean, no, it was a mistake, I think, getting rid of him. And I don't think the players were happy about it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, Eddie and Cham, some of the other players wouldn't have been happy, like, the way he just, like, had to leave. But in a way, I can understand, because I think Selic were probably... I think, didn't, I think they were in a sort of panic, and I can't blame them, because I really think... When you, I really think that if they could have the season would have got shut down. And probably that would have been the best for us as well. <laughs> yes. But no, I mean, it wouldn't have shocked me if something had happened like, after that. If another player... Or if, if if something had happened like, in September, when a like, big thing like that, then they would have just shut the season down and that would have, that would have just destroyed Scottish football if that had happened. I mean, it's bad enough to know with no fans. Like that cup final yesterday, it wasn't the best game. But I mean, having no fans compared to the games in England, it's just unwatchable. I mean, hopefully that'll change next season, but it was a mistake. Bolly made a mistake, and he, sh- and he should have got disciplined for it. And I can understand why they get the, the, we sent him in loan, but I think probably it was a mistake in hindsight. I mean, he's due to come back in the close season. I mean, will he have a future at Celtic? He might, you never know. It depends what the new manager thinks, but... I can understand why they done it, but I I think it was just a weird situation and they thought we just need to handle this the best, best way we can is send ball away and loan. But I think it probably was an error on judgment, really. Yeah, and let me ask you this one, right? Now, obviously, it was because of the public health crisis that you know the microscope was on Celtic and Bowley especially. Aye. But let me ask you this one. Say say Bowley, right, didn't go away. Say he just had a party or something and he's and he's flat and say he was not 100% sober coming onto Rugby Park, and he played, and it turned out, right, that he was actually some had alcohol in his system, for talking sake. Aye. Do you think he would have been given less of a harsher sort of sentence than what he was with flying away to Malaga? Because when you look at you compare that with Lee Griffiths and what he did in July, I'm just wondering here. Well, if, a, if a player like played with alcohol in the system... Eh... Bowley basically didn't go to Malaga, but... He had also alcohol in his system and he wasn't 100% sober. Do you think the punishment would have still been that severe or would Celtic have just gave him a wee fine? 
No, I think that would have been a severe punishment as well, because it would be extremely unprofessional and all. Yeah, like, play with a hangover. I mean, it's not the 1960s anymore. Don't know, I'm fairly sure Lenny did sometimes <laughs> in the 2000s. Well, how dare you, he's... One day there'll be a statue of him at Celtic Park. But, uh, oh no, that'd be a huge thing as well. I mean, especially if we go out to the press, people would go ballistic. No, so I think that would be... I think that might actually, nowadays, be a, an offence you get rid of somebody for. So, okay, well, here you are then. Well, here, here you are then, right? right? I was setting you up there because if you can't do that, then what you could have done was definitely have a takeaway and pile on the pounds and be unfit because, of course, he would have been forgiven for that, no doubt, eh? Oh, you mean like Lee Griffiths? Yes, let's talk about him and, and how he let us down massively. Now, I have never been a massive Lee Griffiths fan, but I do respect that on his day. He's a very, very good finisher. But, you know, we're getting into our most important season, John, and the fact that he already had several months time off, really, to keep himself fit, all he needed to really do was get, let everybody else join, turn up on time, be fit, help us out over in France for the friendlies that we had. He couldn't even do that. He was too busy going to cast milk, smashing takeaways, and that's all right, right? If that's myself or you, John, we can get away with that. But when you're a top, you know, a top level professional that Griffiths is meant to be, massively, massively let us down. And amazingly enough, for the umpteenth time in his Celtic career and in his football career in general, he was given yet another chance by Neil Lennon. No, I mean, he really must be kicking himself because he's not in the Scotland squad for the Euros. And if you think about how well he was playing for us before the shutdown last March, I mean, he'd be a guarantee. He maybe even start for Scotland. I mean, he even made the... He took a penalty in the shootout that we won, Scotland won. And he's not even made the squad. I mean, Kevin Nisbet, fair play him. He's a decent finisher, but... I mean, on his day, Lee Griffiths is a much better player than him. Let's be sensible. But no, I mean, he's really... He, I think... I don't know if he's the sort of guy that has regrets, but if he does, I'm sure he'll look back at this in years to come and think, I really made an answer that, but no. No getting the Scotland... No getting in the Scotland squad for like the first tournament since 1998. Like, you would think he was a stick on. And no, I mean, I think it's probably for the best if... Even though we need to buy hundreds of players... No, literally, but when he buy loads of players this summer, I think it's probably for the best if Celtic and him came in agreement and he moved on. I mean, I'm hoping that the new guys get like stricter regimes and like what players have done in the past wouldn't be allowed. So don't get any takeaways and don't go to Spain. So uh, no, I mean, I think he's been a let's face it, he's been a good he's been a good player for us. I mean, he helped liven up some really dull seasons like in the middle of nine in a row. So, overall, he's been a good signing, but he's not really been very reliable in the last year, and I think it's for the best if Celtic move on. And do you know what Neil Lennon also said about Lee Griffiths? What did he say? He was bitterly disappointed in him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so indeed, the Bowley incident, uh, Nicola Sturgeon's wee meltdown, and the Scottish government panicking meant that it was nine days later that we would play play football at all, actually, but it would be a Champions League game and not a Scottish Premiership match that we'd be playing first. We beat KR Reykjavik 6-0. John, I mean, if we just glance over this one, we didn't really find out a lot. We were always going to be winning that. John Celtic could, might have not played for about a month before that, and we would have still ran out winners there, so we never really learned anything, didn't we not? Greg Taylor scored. I mean, he's not a guy that scores many goals, so I think that tells you. There's no disrespect to Greg Taylor, and we're not him for getting into the Euro squad, but I mean, I think that tells you that Reykjavik's probably not too much of like, a guy like Greg Taylor, who 
scores rarely go to the back of the net. But uh, that was a game we were always going to win. In the nine days that we never played, Rangers played two games while we were sinbinned. They beat St Johnston, well done to them, winning the Scottish Cup yesterday. They beat them 3-0 at Ibrox, but they dropped points in a turgid 0-0 away draw at the Anthony Macaroni Arena against Livingston. Now, I'm wondering, John, was this result potentially piling on more complacency with many connected with Celtic, assuming oh, they had the chance to win the two games, but they've buckled under the slightest bit of pressure again? Probably because we've seen it happen so often before under Gerard. Uh, like it happened. I mean, we had a laugh at it. Exactly. I mean, and it happened loads of times, like in the like twenty nineteen twenty season. So no, I mean, it probably wasn't a surprise. It dropped points in Livingston isn't an easy place to go, especially for us. But no, you probably thought, oh, that that's fine. Then like we can take advantage of that. So I, that is probably what everybody thought. They'll just four apart again and we were back to league duty on August the 22nd now Rangers had beat Kilmarnock 2-0 at Ibrox we had to take three points at Tannadice against Michael Mellon's newly promoted Dundee United they had taken seven points from 12 already just wondering John was this when it became really obvious that Scott Brown was seriously on the decline at Celtic now we know we got a 1-0 we were texting each other during this game I remember watching it um, with my gran and my granda and my uncle too and I just remember I don't know if I, if I broke the rules there oh well nevertheless anyway <laughs> <laughs> trying to get the jail live on there no so we did win one now it was Albany Yeti he got the goal late on his debut but usually while that's a sign of champions I think we can both agree this was masking the problems that are Celtic side for one but also my brown point I think that was the moment John where I watched this one thinking we're in trouble here if we keep uh, mismanaging Scott Brown Ah, it was a poor performance. I mean, it was one of the rare games where Ryan Christie's long-range shots actually were on target. And I think it was one of his shots that led to the goal, or J.A. bundled in the rebound. Aye, Brown was poor. I mean, I know I've said it before, he was a brilliant player for us overall. And Bogodun is one of the best of our players, I reckon. One of the best of our captains. But I think the layoff really hindered him more than MD. I mean, from March to the end of July, we know competitive football. I just don't think his body was able to cope with it. And so it proved. I mean, he, he probably should have been dropped a season a lot earlier than it was. And then, for some unfathomable reason, John Kennedy brought him back into the team. I don't know why that was. I think it was just like a farewell type of thing. But, no, he was poor that day. And I know winning, playing poorly is a sign of champions. But that was a bit of a concern. I mean, I know they started the season decently. They'd got promoted the season before. But, no... That was a warning sign, and it was concerning, especially seeing as how only a few days later we had this massive Champions League qualifier. Not only that, John, it was two very surprising things in that team. There was a lot of online pressure. I remember that Oliver and Cham wasn't starting. People were crying out for him to be given a start. He did start against Dundee United, and he was utterly, utterly terrible. The thing is, he still kept his place in the team for the next game against Ferenc Varos. Yeah. Which we'll get into, but also let me tell you this one. Do you know who was in centre defence that day? It wasn't Chris Ayer. Neil Beaton was in. I was ahead of him, partnering Chris Julian that day. Neil Beaton didn't have the best of seasons either. I don't know. I suppose the warning signs were there. I mean, you would be wanting us to go and like putting down markers and hammering teams, but instead, in our two away games, we'd have won each draw and be like scraped a one 0 win at a team that just been promoted. So. That was a concern, but you didn't think the wheels were going to fall off the way that they did. Talking about wheels falling off, John, it wasn't it just that. It was an all-round, I mean, the Celtic bus went up in flames. 
It was Celtic 1, Ferenc Varos 2, August the 26th. Now, I'm just going to let you shoot here because to this day, it's, you don't shut up about it being one of the worst results of the season. Lenny made that bizarre, bizarre decision, which he'd done before, to play Ryan Christie up front. And fair enough, Ryan Christie scored. But Ryan Christie's not a striker. The thing is, we had strikers on the bench. Kamal was on the bench. Ajay was on the bench. Ajay ended up coming on with 12 minutes to go. But no, it was such a needless gamble playing a midfielder up front. I mean, I know Christie likes to take shots and go, but it was just never going to work. And then the goals we gave away were just really bad. El Hamid especially was at fault for the second one. And it was just dreadful. And I know I said the uh, the ball and goalie moment changed the season. I think the other moment that changed the season was Lenny's interview after the game when he perhaps ill-advisedly suggested that there were some players that were playing the team that wanted to leave and uh, he was going to get rid of them. But when the transfer window shut, nobody had left. So uh, that was just a catastrophe. I mean, that was so, so daft. I mean, I know it was typical Lenny to be like pissed off after a bad defeat and I can't blame him, but no, you don't do that. You don't throw players under the bus. And the worst thing is none of the players get sold. I mean, okay, people would have been livid if, like, it was Ayer, for example, wanted to leave and we sold them, or Encham or Eddie. But I think it would have been better. Maybe no Ayer because he was one of a few good players this season, but if people aren't happy, you, you just sell them. You don't keep them and make a bad environment at the club. And Lenny really shouldn't have said that. I know he sort of tried to get out of it a few days later by saying, like, I saw an excuse for it, but... No, that was the sign that this season wasn't going to go as we all hoped. I mean, okay, we've, we've usually been dreadful in Europe. I mean, we've not reached the Champions League in the last few years. But like, this was a one-off game. I mean, we still had an all-round after this as well, but like, it was only one leg this time. Like, we knew like, we had to win this. And not only did we turn in a terrible performance with Lenny doing a selection brain fart, but then he came out after the game and say people want to leave but then nobody leaves. No, you don't do that. And the two things in August we didn't recover for Ball and goalie and that uh, Lenny uh, state comments. Seattle just didn't recover for that. I think against Ferenc Faros, John, was when I really noticed that a, a new pattern to Celtic's play for poor decision making. So let me rhyme off this one for you, stat-wise. We had 28 shots against Ferenc Faros with only nine on target, right? Now, I remember that going, what is going on here? Because against Dundee United... We had 23 shots, but only nine were on target again. And then before that against Kilmarnock, we only had two on target out of a possible 17. So right away you knew our decision-making was poor and people were starting to question that, going, I mean, what is, what is the difference here? Because we were so clinical last season to misfire in this season. And then do you remember against Fred and Faros as well, John? I personally don't think he did anything wrong, but that was like the start where Barkas was starting to get questioned over two goals that I felt, he really could do nothing with. No, Barkas uh, didn't do much wrong in that game. I mean, his sort of one real bad performance wasn't until we played Rangers in October. No, the thing I've really noticed this season, we are like creating so many chances, is like two things. Number one, they absolutely ridiculous, like shoot, constantly shoot for all angles everywhere. I know that Christian has been told to do that, but that just doesn't work anymore. And the other thing is that a lot of players, they seem to hesitate and take an extra touch when they could shoot. I think really Eddie and uh, Ilanusia are mostly the guilty for that. Even if you look at that game against Hibs, 
that nothing game uh, last week. I mean, you're going to see chances, and if we like hit it maybe after one touch or first time, we would have scored. Like against like Rangers as well. I mean, that one, uh, I think it was a cup when you're going to say that great chance, but he took an, he took that extra bad touch. So I, I don't know if the players' confidence was short to bits, but it shouldn't have been in August. But no, I mean, whoever told them, he, like shoot all the time, take shots and goal constantly. That was a mistake. And I don't know if that led to the players thinking, oh, we need to take an extra touch then. But both the things have been a big reason why we've not scored as many goals as we should have this season. I mean, we definitely should have scored far more than we did. To give them a bit of credit, Ferenc Farros did actually qualify for the Champions League group, group stages. They were horsed off Barcelona and Juventus, but we can't laugh at that. We have lately done the same. Um, I believe Dinamo Kiev also beat them too. But, you know, when you look at us in the Europa League, we are not in a position to laugh at anyone's record in Europe. I know, I mean, but they weren't a good team, that's the thing. And we had that Champions League. <laughs> Neither do we, though. <laughs> that's true. But we had that Champions League again that we constantly balls up. I mean, hopefully Rangers will do the same this, uh, this season. We're going to have a good laugh at them. But uh, they weren't a great team, but then we were just stupid. That's the only way, that's the only word you can describe it, stupid. Yep, and also, before we move on to the last game in August, John, this was really when we noticed the impact that Lee Griffiths and his unprofessionalism had on us because, you know, you're thinking 65, 70 minutes, Ferenc Farros were looking pretty tired. Maybe you can shove a guy like him on because Lee Griffiths realistically is a 20-minute fitness man, but that would have been great. I, you know, shove him on up front, have an actual recognised striker, a guy that pops up, you know, when other teams are tiring and faltering. But no, that was something else that cost us. And he, mass, as I said, massively not only let us down, but himself. And look where he is now. Likely going to have his contract ripped up. He's not going to get in a Scotland team again. And I don't think he'll ever play at the top level again. Certainly nowhere in Europe again. I would doubt it. And I just have to say, uh, I don't I make excuses, of course, because we don't. But Eddie missed that game. He was injured and he was a big miss. I mean, we probably would have qualified or won that game anyway if he'd been there. But he was injured and we had the players, though we'd all strikers, no Griffiths, but we'd all players available to deal with and whenever. So it's the end fault. And I remember after that, there was all the negative headlines that plagued Celtic Park. There was all this talk about an exodus. <laughs> Amazingly enough, John, that never happened anyway. But there was all this talk about an exodus and would Lennon lose his job and the next result against Motherwell. If we even drop points there, that could be a catastrophe. You know what? In hindsight, looking back on it, if we did, and we had a change of manager back in August, we might have had a more successful season. But no, uh, Celtic went on to win 3 0. James Forrest, Albany Yeti, and Christopher Julian scoring against what was just a lackluster, motherable team. Absolutely dismal. The only one I really remember about this is I think that Ajeti scored a good goal. It's hard to. Uh... He just rattled it full force for like six shots out. Uh, it's hard. Uh, probably for people to remember, but he actually did have a good start to his Celtic career. A uh, Jetty, I thought he was going to be a decent player, but uh, no, I sort of flattered to deceive. Even Forrest, of course, he, he scored and he was a massive loss this season. We'll talk, I know you and the other guys can talk about it more in the episodes to come, but we probably wouldn't have won the league this season even if Forrest had been fully fit, but he was still a big loss. And also, John, um, it was yet another changed defensive shape. I mean, we still, sorry, fought the back, more personnel, because Frimpong, who he was criticised against Ferenc Farros, he was dropped. So El Hamed, who was the guy that, you know, sold the jerseys, in my opinion, for the second goal, he retained his place in the team. He started it right back. Funnily enough, Frimpong came on and then set up Julian to make it 3-0. 
Strange stuff. Actually, that was a good goal, eh? But Julian, it wasn't he won his medals for once. That was took it in his left foot, didn't it? He did. But eh, no, I mean, I suppose like that one was uh, maybe a sign that okay, we've got the catastrophe of Ferenc Varos out of system. If only that had been the case. <laughs> if only, John. A season of if only. Uh. So, John, I do believe you have some August 2020 sporting facts for the GigPod fans. I certainly do, fans. I couldn't really find any like world events because we were still under this lockdown, which will hopefully soon be over. But there you go, on August the 16th, the sensational Ronnie O'Sullivan, a sporting genius, won his sixth World Snooker Championship. He beat Kyron Wilson 18-8 in the final. Would you say that Celtic are, Ronnie O'Sullivan's a Celtic or snooker? I don't know if that works. A, a genius, but when he's good, he's the best he can be, and when he's bad, he's no good at all. That's sort of, I suppose. But no, Ronald Sullivan, a brilliant uh, snooker player, and he was brilliant in that final. But then they go, August, football-related, August the 23rd, Bayern Munich won the treble. They beat PSG in the delayed Champions League final in Lisbon. Kingsley Coleman scored the only goal as they won one nothing in a game that wasn't bad. PSG were actually not bad in Europe for once. But uh, no, well done to Bayern, who were brilliant that strange season. And we were also talking about number one in the charts back in 2020. I mean, John, we are two old men who are... Are we so out of touch? No, it's everybody else who's wrong. We Simpsons reference for the fans there. But no, apparently Head and Heart by Joel Corey featuring... Uh, how do you pronounce that? Is it Emnick or Minnick? I don't know. I mean, deeply embarrassed to say I don't know. Me who... <laughs> I am. I am really out of my depth here. But yeah, there we are. So from the end of July to the middle of September, this Head and Heart by Joel Corey featuring the person I can't even pronounce. Is it? I'm going to go with Mnek. I'm just going to say Mnek. Yeah, that dominated. It ruled supreme, unlike Celtic, eh? Uh, yes. We uh, didn't. <laughs> I can't even get in front of you. I was, just, no, I was actually trying to find Mnek's pronunciation, but... Oh, hold on. E... Oh. Amen. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. Right. Forget that. <laughs> well, that wasn't expertly covered at all, but I would say Celtic in August 2020 was expertly covered by GigPod. Now, I'm Stevie. Thanks for listening. John, do you want to say your wee cheerio? Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll be back to do the May episode, so we, that was another exciting, fun month. But I know we've got plenty of uh, guests coming up to do the rest of the year, and we've got my old pal Hamish. For six seven hail hail, he's coming to do the next episode. But uh, thanks, Stevie, as you always. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GigPod, and you know where to find us by now. I mean, on all the usual platforms, leave us reviews, give us five stars, tell us how great we are. But no, it was good to look back, look back in anger, as it's been said on uh, this wonderful season. And May was just the start of that, but. Thanks as usual, Stevie. Not a problem, John. So we'll be back for the next Premiership Year's show with Hamish Carlton of 67 Hail Hail, who will be covering September 2020. A month when the UK braced itself for a huge battle against the second wave of coronavirus and considered shutting the pubs as its major defensive plan. While Celtic had their own defensive contingencies when they brought in Shane Duffy.
Social Podcast Network.